Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 21. We're actually going through uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. We're going to be covering uh, a good amount of verses. That's a lot of verses for us <laughs> through the book of Revelation. Uh, and we're in the last two chapters. The name of this message is Peaking at the Bridal City. And I'm calling it Peaking at the Bridal City because, well... Uh, a Western tradition that's been going on for years, many still hold to, is you're not supposed to look at the bride, you know, uh, before the wedding. The husband's not supposed to look at the bride and, and see her all decked out and, uh, before the wedding. Uh, it's supposed to be a surprise, right? Well, the Lord lets us, because he's not interested in our traditions, as neat as that tradition can be, uh, he's giving us a peek at the bride before the wedding. And the bride is the bridal city which will be occupied by God's people, the church and redeemed Israel, which will all be one bride. And the scriptures are very, very clear uh, that God still has a place for Israel, which we'll see. Uh, but uh, it's interesting that God gives us insight. Now, we get a peek, but we get to look more like at pictures he gives us, right? We don't actually get a, a vision that John got John was blown away by the vision he got. In fact, a couple times, as I mentioned to you before, two different times he falls down to worship. Unfortunately, he's worshiping an angel uh, and an elder, and he's rebuked not to do that because he's so overwhelmed by what he's seen. And this is just so mind-blowing, and it just makes me think, and let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. We've already looked at the first eight verses but let's read, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. I mean, this is mind-blowing because he's seeing this bride come down from heaven. Now, when, the, when a human bride comes down the aisle, it's one of the most beautiful, glorious sights you'll see on earth. People have tears. People, everybody stands up because they're just blown away. Beautiful. There's it, nothing like these, you know, when a woman has her wedding and she's just decked out and you just see her come down as this, this beautiful bride and your heart just, you know, tears well up. Uh, you know, it's just astonishing. But that's a picture for us. The bride is a picture of what's going on here. Can you imagine God decking out his bride? It's amazing. Ah, it's been how many years since Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you? About 2,000 years. Could you imagine? I mean, this is the God who paints the suns, thousands of sunsets every day. Depending on where you're at on earth, you see a different sunset, right? This is the God who made, you know, Wyoming, you know, I'm talking Yellowstone and all these beautiful things. And these are things that are under a curse right now. They're fallen. They don't sustain all their beauty. And not only, think about it, it's not only that these things are cursed and fallen and they're still incredibly beautiful, but we are cursed. So our perception of them is even not as beautiful as it could actually be. Think about that, you know? So it's absolutely mind-boggling that God is the one who is decorating this bride with precious stones. And she's described as in three different ways, several different ways, but three basic ways. She's described as a bridal city. She's described as a forest. 
all kinds of trees and a, a river, the river of life coming out of God's throne. So you're going to be, remember, man, when we're at the men's retreat, how beautiful it is? It's a little tiny microcosm, just a little tiny taste of heaven we get as we fellowship together and we see these incredible sequoias and some redwoods here and there, just, just so beautiful, the water going through and the sweet fellowship of godly people that love the Lord. We have a wonderful time together, man. But guess what? That's just a tiny infinitesimal picture of God's city forest, which is also, it doesn't have a temple in it that you go to. It says because God is a temple and he permeates the entire thing. So it's a temple, it's a city, it's a forest, a city of worship and praise in a perfect forest. That, and it's, when it comes down from heaven, right? John sees it coming down from heaven toward the earth. And I had to chop a bunch of this message up, scribble things out even when I was back there. Uh, off, scribble out probably three or four things and I chopped off several pages before I came here. So many things I want to get into that I can't get into that I'm going to have to wait. Can't wait till next Sunday. Don't want to miss next Sunday. Okay, I'm like, Lord, you know, it's like cutting off parts of my body. I want to show them how, you know, your amazing revelation but what we have today is just this incredible picture of this bride. It makes me think of the scripture that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, right? And it has not come into the hearts of man what the Lord has prepared for those who love him in 1 Corinthians 2.9, amen? So John gets a picture of this more vividly than we do, right? But we do as well. But also, I love this, you guys, because you know how many millions of people prayed this prayer according to Jesus' words? Thy kingdom, What? Come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? John is seeing the answer to those millions and millions and hundreds of millions of prayers that have gone up for the kingdom to come. And he's seen it come in its literal, physical manifestation to the earth. That's a blow mind. That's, it's, 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 a stunning, uh, it's stunning. And he had to have been in the most incredible, had such an incredible sense of awe. And, you know, I think this is one reason that, I mean, he falls down in Revelation chapter 19, right? In connection with seeing the bride of Christ being made ready, right, for her husband. And that's, we're called the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, a couple chapters before this, he sees the bride being made ready for Jesus, right? And then right after that, he falls down to worship. Get up. Then what happens a little bit later? You think he got it, right? Now he sees the bridal city and he's blown away again. And a little bit later, he's going to fall down to worship an angel. It's like, stop, I hit, don't, John. You guys, this is the man I've reminded you before in Revelation, or in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, 21. The last verse in there, verse 21, I think it is, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't worship idols. Yet, he's parking himself in front of an elder and then an angel to worship. Very wrong. But you know, God didn't say, oh, you're not getting in now. He was corrected. He stopped. And God realized, wow, he's so overcome by what I've just given him a little picture of. He's not even experiencing. That's why in Revelation, we also read about the saints, you know, casting their crowns before the throne because of our unworthiness to be there. Amen? Right? It's like, you know, their unworthiness, I should be there. Even more so, our unworthiness. That's 24 elders. Those are eternal beings. We don't know that they've ever even sinned in the past. 
because I don't believe they represent, I, be, I believe that they're pictures of the 24 offices in the temple that worship because the things on the earth are made as a pattern of what goes on in heaven. And those 24 elders are uh, not eternal beings in the sense that they don't have a beginning, but they're beings that were created by the eternal God and they've been there a long, long time. And they're still cast their crowns before the throne. How much more are we sinners have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Will we be falling down, not before angels and elders, but before the living God, amen? amen. I mean, there'll be no better and more pure and beautiful worship than when we're in heaven, right? But you know what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, amen? Right now, we should be lifting our hands. Right now, we should be lifting our hearts. Right now, we should be exalting Christ in our lives by the way we live, by the way we show love to others, by the way we show hospitality, by the way we minister to those who are hurting, amen? Christ should be fully exalted in our lives, and we should be living in anticipation of where we're going, amen? And living holy lives. But what, a, what an amazing thing. You know, it reminds me too of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where it says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you dream or imagine. Well, the, as best as you can imagine New Jerusalem when you read about it in Scripture, as best as you could get your brain around it, you're not even close. It's going to be far more beautiful than that. And that, that excites me. So it's called, he sees the, the bridal city. And then we read in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. That's the most awesome feature. Heaven is heaven because we're in God's presence, amen? It's not because you get to eat 12 different types of fruit. Which from one single tree every month it bears different fruit. And it could be that you have all these different trees and they have different types of fruit trees because God's in a variety and there's all kinds of different fruits and all kinds of different trees every month. That's gonna be awesome. Or drinking from the tree or the water of life that comes from his throne, wow. Because you're invited to drink from that throne, that throne water, Whew. That's gonna be about better than any tasting drink you've ever had in your life, you know? Uh, and, but all of it's gonna be powerful. But being in the presence of God, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in more depth, that to me is, this is the creator of all things. And the Bible speaks of how the creator of a house is much greater than the house. Amen? So we get to be in his presence. And he will wipe away happy day. And we're not, gonna ex we're not exegeting these verses for the first time. We've already been through these verses. So I'm going to hurry up and get to verse 9 where we're starting again. But verse 9 recapitulates verse 1. And that's why I kind of emphasize what's going to be like, what John was seeing to a degree. But in verse four, and he wiped, and he will wipe away what? Every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things that passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Amen? I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to you uh, the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He overcomes, will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the broad road that leads to destruction. Make sure you are not on the broad road that leads to destruction. Verse nine, then one of the seven angels 
Now this is where we pick it up and we slow down a little bit. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now the bride, he sees, interestingly, as a simile, you know, a comparison. Sees this bridal city coming down as prepared as a bride for a city. Uh, a bride, uh, as a bride, like a bride in verse one. Then I saw heaven, uh, a new heaven, new earth. The first had passed away and there's no longer any sea, verse one. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, uh, made ready uh, as a bride, adorned for husband, verse two. As a bride, it's a simile. But now it becomes a metaphor, you know, which shows you that it's not just symbolic of the church as some of the idealist interpreters of the book of Revelation want to portray it. It's actually a, a simile, it's a metaphor for, uh, it's a picture uh, that God's giving him in vision form of a real city with real dimensions. And it's interesting because in verse nine, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So the bride is gonna be inhabited by, guess what, you all the hundreds of millions of believers or whatever that final number is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and after the millennial period in the thousand year reign of Christ when there's a new heaven and new earth, we will occupy that. But we are the bride of Christ. The Bible speaks in terms of husbands love your wives as Christ what? Love the church and gave himself for her. Amen? That he might present to himself what? A radiant church. Amen? without spot, without blemish. He's coming back for a church which is radiant, without spot, without blemish. He's not coming back for the church, much of that which calls itself the church today. He's not coming back for a harlot, for a prostitute. He's coming back for the body of Christ, those who truly and sincerely follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to make sure that you are a sincere, God-fearing, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it's important that we get this and what we understand what's happening here because there's several features that I think are, are, are needing to be pointed out here. Notice he says here, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. That's who comes to him, okay? And he's the one that says, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, it's interesting. When we see terminology in the New Testament that describes the church, sometimes referred to as a bride, still to be married. Sometimes we're also referred to as the wife of the lamb. Uh, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for wives. First Corinthians 11, or Second Corinthians 11, two through four, Paul says, I betrothed you as a chaste virgin. What? To who? To Christ, right? So which is it? Well, you have to understand there's a difference between engagement, the way it was understood in the first century, then, then the way it is understood today. Today we have an engagement, someone could break off an engagement, there's not a breaking of any kind of wedding vow or anything. In those days, a betrothal was far more serious. You were considered legally married from the time of your betrothal as soon as the woman had accepted uh, the offer and the dowry was paid then your, your future wedding date was coming, but you had to actually divorce your wife to get out of that, 
uh, and you have to have grounds. Uh, so it's quite interesting when you think about that. That's why we can see the terms like bride being used and wife being used, you understand? Now, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, it's interesting. Listen to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem, or I should say Jerusalem. It's called New Jerusalem elsewhere. But here he says the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Jerusalem, right? The city of the great king on earth was a picture just as the holy place and the temple was a picture of what God has going on in heaven, Okay. The holiest place where no one could go into, where there was Ark of the Covenant, designated or signified God's very presence. That's a picture of the eternal kingdom in the bridal city. Now, it's interesting here. He says one of the seven angels, right, that had the seven last plagues came. Why do you suppose it was one of those angels, one of the, one of the seven angels that comes to him and says, hey, you know what? He, show, he takes him up to this high mountain. And on this high mountain, then he sees New Jerusalem coming down to heaven from God. Why one of these seven angels? Well, it may be because the seven angels with the seven last plagues in the very last of those seven last plagues, the last, these are the bowl judgments we read about in Revelation 15, where the seal judgments take Revelation chapter 6 and 7 and 8, 9, 10, and 11 with parenthetical statements in, for instance, I'm saying the trumpet, I should say the seal judgment, take Revelation chapter uh, 5, the seals are open, but then they pop throughout chapter 6, right? And then 7's parenthetical. And then chapter 8, you get the trumpet judgments, 8, 9, 10, 11, right? And then the bowl judgments, you don't start seeing what they look like until you hit Revelation chapter 15. And they're kind of, they're shown like without a whole lot of detail, a lot of rapid fire, you know, sores on the hands of the beast worshipers and so forth and great darkness where they're gnashing their teeth. And at the end of Revelation chapter 15, you have the seventh bowl poured out and it's poured out on the kingdom of Babylon. And the, it's destroyed in three parts, you know. And the seventh bowl is a lot like the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet all describe the same thing. But this shows you how Babylon is being destroyed. Hail and fire, earthquake, same thing you see in the seventh trumpet and the sixth seal. And it's radical. But guess what? That one of these seven angels takes John and shows him not heaven or New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, but he shows him something else. And it's probably, it's probably the same angel. We don't know absolutely for sure, but go to chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the what? One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Now, if you back up to chapter six, verse, or chapter 16, verse 17, just back up a little bit. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and loud voices came from the temple of the throne, saying, It is done. And then you got the flashes, the lightning, verse 19, the great city, Babylon, is destroyed. It's remembered before God. It's destroyed. All the mountains flee away. Uh, uh, <laughs> every island flees away. Every mountain, kind of like the sixth seal, the seventh trumpet. It's describing the end. By the way, I've taught you for years and years and years that the destruction of, at the end, under the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet and the, and the seventh bowl are the same event. You could just diagram them. It's just a recapitulation, but giving you different detail. Here we get the detail of Babylon being destroyed by one of these seven angels when God allows him to pour out this bowl. But then it could have been the seventh angel 
that we're seeing in chapter 17, verse 1, because he's the one that destroys Babylon. Although I can't say that for sure because I don't want to go beyond the text other than saying that's a very strong possibility. But chapter 17, verse 1 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So one of the seven angels says, Come here. And what's he going to show him? The destruction of the harlot. The opposite of the church, amen? The opposite of the bride. So one of these seven angels who has one of the bowls, who's used that bowl by, you know, is going to use that bowl because now this is prophetic. It hasn't happened yet. 16, 17 through 21 is a snapshot of what it's going to look like. And now this is the run-up recapitulated as to John seeing from one of these seven angels the destruction of the whore of Babylon. That's Satan's church, okay? Now, this is the key. Who do you belong to, man? Do you belong to the harlot, Satan's church, or do you belong to the bride, the body of Christ, to Jesus? And then when you look at chapter 18, because 17 and 18 deal with describing the whore of Babylon, and more, 17 is more of a description, 18 a little bit, but 18, her destruction. And we read in 18, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her what? Her plagues. He's calling his people to come out of Babylon, right? This is right before her destruction because there's his people there that many of them are evangelizing. This is before the second coming of Christ. But others may be kind of, you know, partially or greatly, I don't know, slipping to one degree or another by participating in her sins. Otherwise, why would he call them out of her? So at, you have believers right before the destruction at the end. Well, we're given teaching by Jesus. To, it'll be like the days of Noah right before he comes back. Amen. It'll be like the days of Lot. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. So even though there's going to be terrific and horrific judgments throughout the earth, there's also going to be, Jesus says, buying and selling as there was in the day of Noah and people marrying and giving a marriage and life is going to continue to go on. The world's learning when you go through various upheavals that life is still going on. Come out of her, my people, lest she partake of her sins and of her what? Plagues, that's God's wrath. Never let anybody tell you that if you're a believer and you're God's people that you cannot be subject again in the future to God's wrath. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you ever taught that, he, oh, no, don't worry, man. <laughs> Since you're saved, man, you'll never have to, even if you fall into sin, you won't experience God's wrath or you just weren't his people. No, this is his people and they are potentially going to experience his wrath again. Amen? We'd have a heads up. Paul said to the children of light, he calls them children of light, let no one deceive you with vain words. Don't be partakers with them, he says. The ch children of wrath, don't be deceived. You know, know for certain that no, and he gives a list of wicked people, will have any inheritance, as he says, in the, inher in, in the inheritance of Christ. And he says, don't be partakers with the children of wrath. So we need to make a choice as believers who we're going to belong to. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Either you love the one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you can't serve God and mammon. And a lot of these people in Babylon, a lot of the focus is money and the sensual things that come with uh, money and it's the love of money and so forth and, and power. Come out of my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. We need to make sure we belong to the bride of Christ, amen? That we're part of the body of Christ, that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? amen. Now, so John is taken up, he's taken to see, right, Babylon and her destruction. By who? One of the 
seven angels that had the seven last plagues. Now you go to Revelation chapter 21, and what do we read? We read, the, we read something else. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you a bride, uh, the bride and the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit that John's carried in, or by the spirit he's caught up to see in Revelation chapter four, the entire heavenly scene. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I couldn't help but think of this as well, is how it's the opposite of what Satan did when Jesus was taken up to a high mountain. Remember that? And shown the kingdoms of the earth in a moment's time, Luke 4, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. And Satan said, bow down and worship me, and all these shall be yours. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord and serve him only. Amen? Aren't you glad he said that? Aren't you glad he did that? Because if he would have bowed the knee, we'd all be doomed. We wouldn't be here today. Amen? But guess what? You have a choice. Because Satan will show you visions and through the entertainment world and, and, and through politics, uh, power and greed, through the, the, the world of commerce, everything that's around you. And he'll say, hey, let this be your world. Live for this. Build your empire here. Amen? Amen. That's what he says to us. He floats all kinds of deceptions by us. And it could be just a little thing. You could be married and it could be, hey, cheat on your wife. Oh, he doesn't put it that way. He's like, oh, don't you feel good about her? Oh, don't you, isn't that guy nice to you, right? And he'll try to seduce you away from your walk with God. Or it could be very subtle. I'm just too busy to be involved in fellowship anymore, man. I just got to work, man. I got to pay the bills. And you stop seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And those, all those things that God's adding, he's not adding anymore if you're in rebellion to him. He's going to spank you at that point. And any grace that you receive is because he loves you and he's giving you space to repent. Amen? So you might be still taking care of to a degree, but man, he's going to spank you because as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. You want to make sure you get right with God. Amen? So we're all being tested. And guess what, man? I don't want to go with Satan's, uh, what he offers. Jesus said, what is the profit man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Amen? We want to make sure that we are right with Jesus. And praise God, there is a city coming, amen? The bridal city, which is going to blow us all away forever and ever. And the cool thing about this, it won't be like 10 years into our marriage. Oh, man, I'm going through some tough times. 10 billion years into your marriage, you still will not have gone through one second of a hard, painful, sinful time. There's no more pain. Amen? It's going to be one glorious honeymoon you know, so it's interesting here is we have to make sure our hearts are right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to realize why is he using the bridal city here? And I think most Christians, and it breaks my heart, are ignorant of the whole motif that's used throughout scripture of the divine romance, what Paul calls the mega musterion. And that should not just be something we know about as Christians, that should preoccupy our walks with Christ this love story that we are involved in through Christ giving his life for us. Because you, if you are a Christian, you are involved in a divine romance. And guess what? The creator of the universe has picked you to be his bride. And he's got this bridal city coming. And man, wow, that'll help me get through anything I have to go through in life. Amen? That'll help me get through anything, any trial I'll face. And I'm not going to, by the grace of God, stay fixated on the trial that I'm in. Because I'm going to say like, wow, Lord, you are amazing. I can't believe you love me. That you gave your life for me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we are part of the bride of Christ. 
Really, the bride of Christ? Yes. But isn't that a picture? Yeah, that's a picture. And the picture, the type, is always less than the reality. Do you understand that? The reality always far blows away the picture. Do you understand? Just like you have these pictures of Christ and the animal sacrifices. But the sacrifice of Christ himself just destroys, I mean, just blows away all those pictures, amen, and finishes those pictures. The marriage and, and how beautiful it is and the, the bride coming down and our hearts quivering like, wow, how beautiful is this? You know, guess what? God's what he's doing is going to blow us away beyond that picture. like, wow, those pictures were cool, but now we're here. I've got to pinch myself. Whoa, man. It's absolutely amazing when you think about it. And it's really amazing because I've shared with you, if you've been to any of the weddings I do, I make sure that I try to, almost every wedding I do, I try to show how this Megan Wisterian, as Paul called it, the Megan Wisterian, that, that Jesus Christ is the bride. Amen? I'm sorry, Jesus Christ is the groom and he gave his life for the bride. Amen? And that the bride standing before all the people, because I have all these unbelievers here so often, the bride is a picture of, this, of, of a people that God wants. And he's planted from before creation. Amen? And the groom was a picture of Christ. And when I do the premarital uh, counseling, now I usually have three or four premarital counselings before I counsel, I go through that with a couple so they understand, man, your, your marriage is way up here, man. It's transcendent in God's eyes. You are supposed to be living illustrations of Christ and his bride. You have a high calling in your life, sir. You have to lay your life down for not just stepping in front of a bullet, but you need to lay your life down for your wife every moment of every day. You have to be ready to be there for her when she's hurting, to, to comfort her. When she needs prayer, to pray for her. When she doesn't need prayer, prayer to pray for her, amen? To wash her in the washing of the water of the word, amen? And man, if you're married, man, you need to be laying your life down for your wife. And you may not be called to stand in front of a bullet because of some home invasion or because someone uh, is trying to hijack you and your wife's in the car and you're out of the car and you jump in front of them to save. You may be called to do that, but you may be called just to die by a thousand cuts in one week, you know? Slowly. Someone can relate, you know? <laughs> We can all relate, right? We've all gone through things, you know? He's relating for other people. He's envisioning being in that situation, you know? <laughs> but we're all in that situation. We can all chuckle at that because it's like, yeah, that's what we go through. Amen? Because we're dwelling with our wives as a weaker vessel and they go through things. You just love them. And there's such beauty in that though. Because when you lay your life down for your wife the way you're called to, you experience the Holy Spirit in your life. You experience the living God at work in your life because that, the Holy Spirit says, yes, this is what I want you to do. So you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when I love my wife and hug my wife, encourage my wife, pray for my wife, give her scripture, it's a blessing because the Holy Spirit's in that. And that's what God's call is to, amen? And my wife blesses me and encourages me and walks with me arm in arm as my teammate and, and, and reflects God's glory in a way I can't because she's a woman and she's made special to be a picture of the bride. It blows me away. It's like, wow, Lord, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. Wow, I get to see glimpses of the, church, of, of the bride of Christ through my wife and through all the beautiful women that love Jesus. What a picture that is. And then all together, we're ultimately the bride that shines forever in Christ, Amen. So when I, I give these examples and I, I share with people the divine romance, Paul said that husband would leave his mom, mother and father and cleave to the wife, that the two would become one flesh. He says, this is a great mystery or megumusterion, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. There's this deep mystery going on. And that way, if you love your wife, if you're not loving your wife, sir, well, what, sometimes my wife's really hard to love. 
Well, guess what? That's part of the deal at times. Do you think you're hard to love? Do you think the church of Christ is not hard to love? When Jesus was on the cross, his church was denying him. And he stayed on the cross and continued to die for us. Amen? You're called to continue to die even when it's tough with your wife. And sister, when it's tough with your husband, right? And he's disobedient to the word. It says to so submit to him in 1 Peter chapter 3, even though he's disobedient to the word, that you might win your husband, amen? We have this high calling in Jesus, you guys. And it's in this way that we are able to exalt Christ in our community, in our church, around our neighbors, that people can see the Megum Mysterion. So I point out to you, there's the, I love the book of Revelation because it wraps all this up, you guys. It brings all this to this wonderful conclusion that begins in Genesis, the first chapters, and ends in Revelation, the last three chapters. Right? Adam created in God's image a picture of Christ, given a wife, a bride, a picture of Christ's bride. They're called to what? Have dominion over the earth, amen, to rule and reign. A picture of Christ and his church, which it says we'll rule with him for a thousand years. And in Revelation chapter 22, it says that we'll rule with him forever and ever, not just a thousand years. That's his initial aspect of our reign with Christ. What a picture this is, man. And then it's an amazing picture because Adam names all these animals, Mr. and Mrs. Orangutan, Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, Mr. and Mrs. You know, uh, you know, pick, pick an animal, you know, hippopotamus, orangutan, Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. I got a song I sing to my kids, my grandkids when they're young. Rhinoceros, rhinoceros, you know. And I just made up some silly words, man, because I, and I turned it to Jesus, but, you know, better not spill your milk. And they're captivated for the first two years. Then after a while, they're like cross-eyed. Okay, I'm done with that pop-up, you know. I'm going to put my guitar, you know, play that for them. But then it's, you better follow Jesus, rhinoceros. But you know what? He's naming it. He's got Mr. and Mrs. But when, he, when he's done, it's like he sees that he's all alone. Man, I'm a, there's no counterpart. There's no Mrs. Adam. And then God puts him into a deep sleep. Amen? That's a picture of Christ on the cross. And God opens up his side. And there's bloodshed to get his bride. And then Eve is brought forth. Then he names her because they're naked and they're perfect. And he's like, whoa, man. You know, woman, you know. That's where the term woman probably didn't come from. But, you know, I can imagine something like that, though. You know. And uh, he's just blown away. And he names her. But what, how did Jesus get his bride? Went to the cross. He went into the deep sleep of death. His side was opened up by a javelin in the side, and out came water and blood, right? Which is, by the way, if you've had a baby, or if you know someone that has a baby, you've been there, or you're close proximity, or you just know about it, there's water and there's blood. And the baby is brought forth. Well, Jesus brought forth his bride through his death on the cross. Eve was birthed through Adam. Interesting. So, Men now come through women, right? But the first woman was born through a man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The two became what? One. What are we as Christians? We become part of the what? Body of Christ. We're one with Jesus. Do you understand? You see, remember, Adam went to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in rebellion to God, but he was not deceived. Paul says explicitly in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that the man was not deceived, but the woman was Eve was the seed, man. She thought, 
Now, she still rebelled because she thought, man, I could become God. And she was tricked. Instead, she died and was expelled from the Garden of Eden and returned back to the dust. But the man was not deceived while said, why in the world would the man partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowing that he was going to die? The only explanation that makes any sense to me is that he wanted to stay with his bride because it said that Eve gave to him to eat. I don't know that for 100% sure. That makes a lot of sense though. And it fits, it's a beautiful, powerful typology when it's reversed, not in what happened. Because Adam partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in disobedience to his father and through him death comes upon the whole world, amen? But Jesus went to the tree of the cross, the tree of Calvary on the Mount of the Skull in obedience to his father. And he's called the second Adam and he's called the last Adam, Romans chapter five, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he goes in obedience to his father to reverse the curse. And thorns and thistles, after Adam, he blew it, thorns and thistles came up, man. You ever step on a thorn, man? I remember when I was like a little kid, I used to, all of us did pretty much. And that's in the days before people were just stuck kids playing video all day, which is not good to play video all day, by the way. And we'd be running around all day. That wasn't always good either because I got in a lot of trouble before I knew Jesus, you know. But man, you know, two of the things I hated the most was stubbing my big toes because I did that running the streets over and over again. It's like a throbbing headache in your toe. Ah, it's blood everywhere, you know. Just did that for the first time in 20-some years about a month ago, you know, trying to catch the garbage truck barefoot. Well, I'm older now, so it was, you know. And I'm, bam, I'm like, ah, I popped it, you know. And I'm like, ah, man, it's throbbing. Didn't hurt like when I was a kid, though. But you know what? One of the things I hate is stepping on those really hard, pointy stickers, man. Ah, that hurts. I don't mind those warm, fuzzy stickers, you know. It's like you don't even feel those, man. But guess what? Adam and Eve, man, man, now it's pain. Thorns and thistles everywhere. On the cross, the second Adam, what happens with him? Boom, the cross is put on his head. Amen? Not the cross, I'm sorry. The crown of thorns on his head. That's why we have a crown of thorns there. When this fellowship started, it wasn't long, man, before we, I said, well, I want a crown of thorns back there. Remind us of how awesome Jesus is what he's did. In my office, is a crown of thorns. On Christmas, man, I don't put a star at the top of the tree, nothing wrong with that. I put a crown of thorns on the tree. That tree is to me a picture of the cross of what Christ did for us. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again, conquered the grave. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, man, he reversed the curse she lost it in the garden, right? Eve, or I should say Adam did. He's basically, he represented us, amen? Now, we aren't born spiritually dead. We die and we go to be with Jesus, man. But you hit the age of accountability. You have that sin nature, though, that you get from Adam. So there is original sin in effect to our nature. But if the moment we sin consciously, knowing that deep down in our hearts we break the law of God, then Paul says I was alive, but then I died. Romans chapter seven, verse 11. Then we're, under, we're accountable before God. But guess what, man? Even as Eve gave to the man to eat, Jesus rises from the dead. The women see that he's resurrected. And just as Eve gave to the man to eat, man to eat and he fell, guess what? Beautiful. The women who recognize that he's resurrected go to the apostles who are quivering and shaking under, under the roof and hiding from the Romans. And they give to the men to eat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus rises in a garden tomb, Amen gives to the women the gospel that he's resurrected. They share it and life comes upon them. And even as they were separated from God and lost the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 20, even before the day of Pentecost, it says Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
everything gets reversed. But guess what? We still don't have access literally to the tree of life because he put cherubim around it with, with flaming swords so you couldn't even eat of the tree of life and praise God they couldn't eat of the tree of life. Can you imagine being a fallen, wicked human being and eating of the tree of life and just being a fallen, eternal, wicked being? Not that it would actually work out that way because I don't know exactly what that would look like, but it would be some kind of monstrosity. But guess what, man? You get to the last three chapters of Revelation, the whole curse is reversed. There's no more curse because you need to go through the book, man. Here's the chaos. Here's the end of the book. A book written by over 40 authors. A book written by over 1,500 years in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Yet it's one solid message. Blow mind. Amen? Amen. And then the curse is reversed and you get to the end and there's access to the tree of life again. Revelation chapter 22. There's no more curse, Revelation 22. There's no more death, amen? No more sorrow, no more pain. Everything is reversed. It's the Megan Mysterian. It's the most beautiful life, love story, not only ever told, but it's real. That's, that's what blows me away. You take the best love story you could possibly think up, if you had a thousand years to think of it, a trillion years to think of it, you wouldn't think of a better love story than it's going on right now. Amen? And you're in it. And you're the subject of, of, of the affection of the king of kings and the Lord of of lords. So this is all such an amazing blow mind. And even marriage in Jesus' day was meant, I believe, in, through God's sovereignty to draw a picture of what Christ was doing with the church. According to the Jewish Talmud, these are Jewish traditional writings going back into the time of Christ and before Christ and after Christ, putting together many of the sayings of the rabbis and so forth. But speaking of the, uh, the marriage covenant, in the first century in Jesus' day, giving us some background as to some of the imagery that was going on. They had the Mishnah. The Mishnahs were the extra-biblical writings, and there was a uh, Mishnah uh, Kedushin. And the Mishnah Kedushin, this is the, the, the part of the Talmud that deals with the marriage covenant or marriage contract. And it's interesting because in the Talmud, in the Mishnah uh, Kedushin, they're told specifically that the husband-to-be that wanted to marry a specific woman would have to go and be engaged to her or betrothed to her, but he'd have to leave his father's house to go to find her. Jesus left his father's house, amen? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, amen? He humbled himself, God, even though he's in the very form of God, the very nature of God, then consider equality with God, something to be continually held onto, but he humbled himself and became a, a man in the form of a servant, a doulos, the lowest servant you could possibly become. And he had said, the, the, the birds of the air have, have nests, right? right? And the foxes have dens, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He became poor, it says, that we may become rich. He left his house to get us. God, the creator of the universe, became a man to get us. That is a blow mind. As the children's hymn says, when Jesus left his father's throne, he chose a humble birth like us, unhonored and unknown, he came to dwell on earth. Wow. And then according to the Jewish Talmud, uh, a dowry would have to be paid. A dowry would have to be paid and was, had to be made known to the bride. And it could only be the marriage could only take place if the bride consented and said, yes, I will, right? And there was a dowry that was paid and there was a covenant that was made. And Jesus, and oftentimes the man would go to the woman's house and I've shared this with you before, but he'd pour a glass of wine and she, she symbolically, I mean, she would take some of the wine and that was, yes, I do, I agree, I wanna marry you. If she just turned away and said, no, 
The guy left just all sad, bummed out. Man, I blew it again. Hopefully it wasn't 10 times for him, but you know, it didn't work out. You know what? But Jesus took his disciples and he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is, it's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted typology because it's also fulfilling the cup of redemption in the Passover, which we don't have time to get into, which we've talked about before, a, 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 teach, a, a, a teaching that God gave them through the Passover lamb years before that would picture Christ's death for them. But also it's this bridal cup. It's a picture that, hey, I'm going to pay the dowry. And he says, this is the cup of the, this is the blood of the new covenant, right? Drink from this in remembrance of me. And of course, they drank, you know? They partook. This was at the Last Supper. And guess what? He went to the cross and he made good on his dowry. He paid for us on the cross. He didn't pay by giving a, a, an animal, which a lot of times they'd have to give an animal or something of that nature or temporal money. But we read in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, we, you were bought, it says, with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you, do not, uh, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. What price? Chad referenced the scripture when he was doing announcements. Acts 20, 28 says, shepherd, the church of God, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased, which he purchased, who did God with his own blood. Show that to a, Je show that to a Jehovah Witness, amen, who don't believe Jesus is God. It says he, or it says shepherd, talking about the leaders of the church there, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, Jehovah Witnesses add the word son in there. Son is not in the Greek. Don't change the Bible to fit your eschatology change your, or, or fit your soteriology, fit your Christology, bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and change your Christology and your view of soteriology, right? And repent and don't change the word of God. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, Amen. Now check this out. It's the blood of Christ that gets us in the kingdom, that gets us into New Jerusalem eventually. Amen? Amen? In fact, the word lamb is used in the book of Revelation 29 times. It's used in the book of Revelation more in the book of Revelation than all the other books of the Bible of Jesus put together. Where it specifically point out that it's referencing Jesus. But you know what? Seven of those nine time, nine, 29 times of Revelation are in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 and a stretch of verses that are describing New Jerusalem. That's the biggest cluster of lamb references is in connection with New Jerusalem. It's because it's through his death and pain for our sins that we get in there, amen, that he paid for us. So we should always be praising him. We should always be blessing the lamb, exalting the lamb, honoring Jesus, lifting up songs of praise, amen? Witnessing and telling people how awesome our God is. In fact, when I explained and did a uh, uh, wedding, I just did two weddings last week or two, one weekend, then the next weekend. Uh, so the weekend before this one and then the weekend before that. And the last one I did, I had a couple young ladies come up to me afterwards and saying, this is amazing. I had no idea how beautiful the meaning behind marriage was, you know. I said, yeah, a lot of people look at it as just people make an agreement and they live together, but there's far more meaning here, you know, what the Lord God did. And I started to witness to them, and then I got taken away for pictures, and I was like, okay, I can't, 
I'll go to the pictures. I didn't want it. I wanted to keep witnessing, you know. Talk about how beautiful the Lamb of God is, what Jesus did for us. Amen. Now, it's interesting. We also read in the Scripture that, or in the, in the Jewish law, they also had what they call Kedushin. Kedushin. If you're taking notes, it's K-I-D-D-U-S-H-I-N, and that means sanctified. The bride was in sanctified because after she accepted, the, her father accepted the dowry and she consented and said, yes, I'll be married, then he would leave and go back to his father's house. This is what Jesus did, isn't it? And then she would be sanctified. Kedushin, she'd be set apart for him alone and prepare for him. That's where we're at right now. The Bible says we have been washed, amen. We have been sanctified, amen. We've been justified, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And right now we are what? Being set apart. And the Bible says, he that has this hope, 1 John 3, 3 of his second coming, he that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure, amen. So we're looking forward to Jesus. And as we look to him and we behold him, we become more like him, amen. But if your eyes are on the world, and you're more focused on what's going on in the world and all caught up in it and that's where your affections lie and you think this is your future, which is not because you're here just a little while, guess what? You won't be purifying yourselves. That'll lead to being backslidden. In fact, that would be a backslidden state if your focus isn't on Jesus and it's on the world. You gotta repent and snap out of it, man, and get your eyes on Jesus. So she would be sanctified, okay? Waiting for the physical consummation of the wedding and it's critical that we understand that. And then, guess what? According to what would happen according to Jewish tradition back in those days, then the son would go back to his father's house. And what would he do? You remember what he would do when he was at his father's house? He'd prepare a place for his bride. So a lot of times you'd have sprawling, you know, homes with the number of sons even having their homes attached to the father's house. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, you believe in God, believe also in me. For my Father's house, there are many mansions or many rooms, and those rooms will make these mansions look like outhouses. There are many rooms, amen? And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go, I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Wow. Amen? And I'll receive you again to myself. What place is he preparing? New Jerusalem, guys. New Jerusalem. Wow. And then, guess what? Oftentimes the bride had no idea. She didn't know the exact day and hour that he had, was going to show up. Her and her bridesmaids needed to be ready for when he would show up to come and get her, right? And she didn't know the day and the hour. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and that hour of his return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, no, uh, nor the son, but the father alone. Amen. And then he would come with escorts, the, the, the groom would come with his friends. He'd come with his escorts, right? And that would be quite amazing. And guess what? When Jesus comes in Revelation 19, it says he's coming with the armies of heaven. And there'd be this great shout when he'd arrive. And he was there, a great shout, the bridegroom's here! And they had to be ready. And we read in, uh, we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, then what happens? Well, keep reading. Then it talks about the people are saying peace and destruction when we're caught up and he brings sudden destruction upon them. He sets up his reign and he rules for a thousand years and we rule with him from Jerusalem on earth. And after that's the great white throne judgment. 
And after the great white throne judgment, then guess what happens? The city, New Jerusalem, comes down as a bride prepared for husband. We're already with the Lord for over a thousand years though. Amen. Basking in the glory of his love and his presence. Redeemed. And guess what? We will receive what? New bodies. Amen. Before New Jerusalem comes. A thousand years plus before because he reigns for a thousand years and we reign with him when he comes back. And then Satan's let loose for a short time so it's just over a thousand years. Then the great white throne judgment. Then New Jerusalem comes down to the sky. But when he comes back, guess what? uh, We have the consummation of our marriage because as a husband and bride we come together too, we become one flesh. We become just like him. We become physically like him. Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity, listen to this, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even used to subject all things to himself. His power that subjects the cosmos to himself. He's going to use that to give us brand new bodies that are going to be like his. Amen? And we'll be one with him in ways that we were never one before. We won't have a fallen, sinful nature to contend with anymore. Amen? Satan will be bound for a thousand years. We'll no longer be subjected to temptation. Amen? And then when the new Jerusalem comes, man, we have absolute perfection forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and just add ever infinitely to that line of so we have this incredible deal going on. Is anybody excited today? I'm excited. I think it's almost sinful to not be excited about God's word, man. Because what a powerful reality that we have in scripture. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. I need to move, huh? I always get through verse 9. We're going to move a little bit here. 21.10. We mentioned how he carried him away. So we looked at 9 and 10. And he sees Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Then verse 11, having the glory of God. This is huge, guys. Having the glory of God. Having the glory of God. Do you realize it's, that's such, if you read through the book of Revelation, you might just pass it up, but it's no big deal. That is a big deal. If you like writing your Bibles, you might underline that. You might circle that. Because guess what? The glory of God in its fullness is something you and I cannot handle today. The whole earth is full of his glory. In some ways, we see, uh, the, we see who he is, his divine nature, right? His eternal power through things that he's made, amen? So we see some of the glory of God on the earth, but we don't have, the, we aren't able to experience the ultimate aspect of God's presence and his, the, the fullness of his glory. For no one can see God and what? And live but we're looking forward to this holy city, Jerusalem. Amen? And we read in the scripture that by faith he, meaning Abraham, dwelt in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Catch that? Abraham, the father of our faith, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. A few verses later in verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared, he has prepared a city for them. It's, a, it's mind-boggling 
to think that that city, by the way, guys, is already prepared. Even before Jesus, right, goes to prepare a place for us. Well, wait a minute. There's a city that he was preparing for them, but guess what? How has that city changed? Even to this day, that city's being changed. You know how I know that? Because we are the inhabitants of that city, and we're going to be changed. And we're going to be rewarded in our bodies according to our works. And Revelation chapter, 17 verse, chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, it talks about the, 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 the saints were arrayed in bright linen. In, in the Greek, it's this, this, this radiant linen, which is the, the good works or the, the righteous acts of the saints. At the end of the tribulation, the church is going to be more and more. We're already purified from our sins by the blood of Christ, amen? But we're being purified by, uh, regarding our character through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who uses trials, who uses God's word, who uses the blood of Christ, which he applies to us to keep us separate from the things of the world and just holy unto God, amen? Now, guys, we're being transformed so we can see and dwell in the glory of God because no impure thing, no impure person who's not forgiven of their sins, who's living a life of wickedness, will enter that city, chapter 21, verse 27, what does it say? And nothing what? Unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have to make sure we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We have to make sure that we have repentant hearts, right, that are longing and loving Jesus. Now, it's important to understand this because I've shared with you before a truth a lot of people like to not talk about because it scares them. But the reality is that God is a consuming fire. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God is love, 1 John 4, 16, amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. God is love, amen, but he's also a consuming fire and he's perfectly holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, amen. And he cannot abide wickedness because of his holy nature. And he could have just wiped us out, but he sent his son, the father sent his son to die so we could be forgiven. But otherwise, we couldn't be in his presence, guys. No one could be in his presence and live, the Bible says, in that state. In fact, listen to what it says in 3314 of Isaiah. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Why? Who of us can dwell in the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning God lights up New Jerusalem, man, because the Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, amen? But that light is so powerful and he's so holy that the wicked could not endure his presence. In fact, Timothy says in 1 Timothy 6.16, he alone is immortal. He alone, God alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. Catch that? That's how big and radical and awesome your God is. No one, could ever, no one has ever seen him, nor can anyone see him. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Wow. Wow. And if Revelation 15, 8, man, if you went back there, you'd read this. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God. Notice when he's talking about, now it says the glory of God dwells in that eternal city, right? Dwells in New Jerusalem. But here we see the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple. Wow. Until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Man, would God manifest the glory of his power? You can't even get in the temple right now, man. Are you doomed? But wait a minute. Just like the high priest was the only one that was able to go to the holy place, which is a picture, by the way, of this holy city, which we'll find out in the next message. 
that's one of the things I want to get to, but I can't in this message. That just blows me away. That the holy place that, that they'd go into, and you can prove it, man. You can show it. It's, it's a picture of the heavenly, and only the high priest could go in there after the sacrifice, amen? And that wasn't a full-blown version of God's power because you cannot abide it except by the grace of God. Do you remember when Moses said he wanted to, he said, please let me see your glory. Please, Lord. I think it's Exodus 33, 18. Let me see your glory. God says, you can't see me and live. What does the Lord do? He puts him behind the cleft of a rock. He hides him. And then he passes by him, but only lets him see. Do you remember what he let him see? Just his afterglow. Otherwise, Moses would have been toast. Do you understand that? And then in Exodus 33, 19 and 20, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. And he sees his goodness, his loving kindness. And he also sees his wrath against the wicked because he is love, but he is holy. And because he's holy, 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 guess what? He's full of love because he cares for that which is good and righteous and pure. Amen. Revelation 21, 11. Having the glory of God. Her brilliance was what? Like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Most commentators like Mounts, I've read that in Osborne, uh, Beale, G.K. Beale, uh, Kraft, Eckbart, others, they, they, most scholars believe it's speaking of a diamond here or suggest it's speaking of a diamond here. Because jasper is not a very costly stone. The, 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 what we would we try to understand is jasper now, back then. And, be, and it's, not, it's more opaque and it's not translucent as this is described. So we believe he's referring to a diamond uh, or a, a, a stone of sorts. But keep in mind, it's not made out of jasper. It's not made out of diamond. This is like, right? Like. Like jasper, okay? As a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now, it's interesting because this city is illumined, it says, in 22, 23, God has illumined it. And then in 22, 5, there will no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will illumine them. It's transparent. The stone is transparent and they will reign forever and ever. God will illumine. And in illuminating, in illumination there, it's in, the, in the Greek, it's in the present tense. He will continue to illuminate. The light will not be coming off the sun. The sun is a picture of Jesus, the son of God, amen? It says the father and the son will be the lights. There's no need of, uh, of the sun anymore because he's gonna light up the city. And we're going to be basking in the light of God and we're gonna be in his presence. And Jesus said the pure in heart and the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, verse eight of Matthew, the pure in heart, they shall what? See God. Job says, when, my, when, I'm, when I die, man, and my skin is no more. He talked about how he will see God. The pure in heart will see God. We can't right now, but we're going to be in his presence. And we're reading right there in that text, the glory of God will fill New Jerusalem. And we'll be engulfed in the light of his presence and the clear walls. There's no need for, it's all transparent because there's no bat mobsters doing back-end deals. There's no evil politicians getting together saying how they can get money out of you and hurt you, right? There's no, you know, uh, there, there's no drug traffickers. There's no sex traffickers. All those guys are gone. Amen? If you're looking for reference, that was Job 19.26. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Another one was Matthew 5, 8. 
Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully. You know what's interesting? That it uses that term that we translate jasper. That it's like jasper. These, every, it's just this beautiful translucent. If you go to Revelation 4.3, you know where that verse is used? And he, speaking of God the Father, he who was sitting, he who was sitting was like a, what? Jasper stone. And a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like, an, like emerald, which would be green, and sardius would be reddish in appearance. You have these, these beautiful colors when he's seen the Father on the throne. And, that's, and keep in mind, what's, what's the first color? What's the first thing mentioned? Like jasper. And then what's everywhere throughout the, the walls of the city? Jasper. Because it's all a reflection of who? God the Father. Amen. It's, there's radiant light, brilliant light coming from the Father and from the Son. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. That's what the Lord's communicating to us. The place is going to be full of his glory. The glory of God, which is described as being like smoke, but it's not like, <laughs> it's just his power. It's the personification of his character. It's a personification of his power. It's a personification of his holiness. It's a personification of his pure love. And you'll just be melted in his presence for all eternity in his power and his loving and holy character. Think about that, guys. Think about that. Wow. Verses 12 and 13. And it had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, there were 12 angels. And the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. I love that, man. The gates, it's not St. Peter at the pearly gates, guys. That's not biblical, okay? It's the names of the 12 tribes written. There's 12 angels at these gates. And each one has a name written at one of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is God's way of letting us know, why at the gates? Because guess what? If you're a Gentile believer, you wouldn't even have the scripture. We were strangers to the covenant. It's, we're indebted to Israel and what God did with the nation of Israel to become aware of even the new covenant. Amen? And it's God's way of showing us that guess what? God is not done with Israel. Contrary to what those who teach and hold to replacement theology believe. And replacement theology is a theology that says God just wants the church now and he's all done with Israel. And everything that's happened to Israel is just a big accident. It's a big coincidence. Wrong, 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 man. It's the only nation that's ever existed that ceased to exist for hundreds of years and then became a nation again. Just like God said it would, amen. And they are actually one of the world powers. And they'd have antagonism around the world against them, which is exactly what God's word says. And we read in Romans chapter 11. God says, as God rejected his people, he says, may it never be. And in fact, he says, God is seeking to make his people Israel jealous through salvation of Gentiles, right? And if, and if the rejection of Israel, of the Messiah, is reconciliation, right, of the Gentiles, what will reconciliation be like with Israel? And in fact, he goes on to say in First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11, that the deliverer will come from Zion and all Israel will be, what? Saved, amen. God is not done with Israel. And it's this beautiful. So you have these 12 gates, and then you look at chapter uh, uh, 22, verse 13. 
There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And now it's interesting because this, if the heavenly layout is following the typology to a T in the layout of the, of the old uh, uh, encampment in the wilderness around the tabernacle, that would mean the gates of the east would be the names of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And the gates in the north would be named Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And the gates in the south would be named Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And the gates on the west would be named Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And that encampment was, by the way, in the shape of a huge cross. 22.14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the 12 names of who? The 12 apostles of the Lamb. I love this, man, because you have Israel, right? Then you have the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They're the apostles of the early church, amen? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says that the Lord has built the church. We're built on the foundation of Christ, right? But it says, and on the, there it says, and the apostles and on the prophets. The church is built on the apostles and the prophets. Jesus first and the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation. And those are the 12, 12, 12 foundation stones, Every stone of the foundation, man, you have a name of a different of the 12 apostles. Now, there are those who debate as to whether who's the 12th apostle there. Is it Matthias, who was picked in Acts, or is it the apostle Paul? And some argue, believe it or not, for Judas, because he was there originally. I don't know if it was Matthias or Paul. I, I lean toward Matthias personally. You know, in my humble opinion, I think it's Matthias because when he's chosen, it doesn't say the 11 apostles after that. The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts through Luke calls him one of the apostles, calls them the 12 over and over again. So I lean toward Matthias. As, as cool as it would be seeing Paul's name there, it wouldn't be so cool for Matthias. Hey, Matthias, how come your name's not up there? You know, I don't know. He's going to be happy. There's no sorrow, right? He'd be happy to be in. But, you know, it could be Paul. I don't know. Time's going to tell. I don't believe it's Judas, though. Because Judas fell from his apostleship, we're told, in Acts chapter 1, and he was replaced. We're told that he became the son of perdition, that he was the son of perdition. Jesus said in chapter 17, verse 2 of, the Roman, of first, uh, John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, that all that the Father gives to me, I give eternal life. He goes in, in verse 12, I think, and he says, but I've lost, lost none. Of all the apostles that were given to him, disciples maybe even at that point, I've lost none except the son of perdition. He was the exception at that point. He is lost, he said. Okay, that scripture may be fulfilled. So, uh, and by the way, we're told in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, if you take from the holy book, your part will be taken out of the holy city and the things that are named in the holy city. And uh, he certainly didn't take from the book of Revelation. But my, my point is, is that we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 4 through 7, and uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, that you can be disinherited, okay, if you fall away. And he definitely fell away. And there's a lesson here. Nothing unclean will enter into this city, amen. And could you imagine, think about this, Judas, you're, you're once one of the 12 apostles. Your name was going to be written on one of the foundation stones of the eternal city. Think about that. For all eternity. And now it's gone. Never there to be written. And then you read in Luke 13, 38. There will be, it made me think of this scripture. There will be weeping when Jesus comes, right? 
establishes his kingdom, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. This is outside the city, of course. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. That's even before New Jerusalem. Can you imagine being thrown out, not being able to participate in the Lord's kingdom and the reign with him, and then New Jerusalem? They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can't imagine Judas's pain. I mean, he would certainly say now, I don't need my name to be there, but I just want to be in there. But it's too late. I don't want you to say, man, I want to be in there. But it's too late. Because I chased women instead of Jesus, man. Because I chased alcohol. I chased the dragon. I chased meth. I chased heroin. I chased whatever you're chasing. I chased pornography. I chased riches more than Jesus instead of Jesus. I chased whatever. I love pleasures more than lovers of God, lover of God. Oh no, I don't have any of those problems, but you hate people, okay? Judas is not there. Why? Judas, you don't have to worry when you're there if you've ever seen and having and receiving a Judas kiss from anybody because those kinds of folks will not be there, okay? Judas was a backstabber. Backstabbers will not be there. Only people that have your back will be there. Only people that love Jesus and love their brothers and sisters in Christ will be there. Make sure you have a new heart. The Bible says that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Only the righteous will see God. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, behold, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? You want to make sure you're a new creation. You can only get in the heavenly kingdom if you are transformed and fit for the heavenly kingdom by being born again. Amen? We're not going to pass out the bread quite yet, guys, in one second. We're almost done here. We're not going to pass out the, we're not going to uh, enter the kingdom unless we're walking with Jesus, man. The unrighteous, be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? Make sure you're following Jesus and you put him first in your life. Amen? If he's not first, man, understand that Jesus died for you. He was buried and he rose again. He conquered the grave. And you're doomed without him. It's the city of the Lamb. The only one people that are in there are those who've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. If you reject Jesus as the Lamb and the cleansing that you can have through his gospel and him dying for your sins and rising again and conquering the grave, then you will have to pay for your sins and you'll be separated from him forever and ever. Don't let that happen. Choose Christ now. Choose life if you have not. And if you've chosen Christ, don't be a Judas man. Stay on the path till the very end. And guess what? We won't just be able, John's just seen the holy city come down. Then he's seen its dimensions and all kinds of things I didn't even have a chance to get into, but that's next week. Guess what? We're going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever and on and on and on. Happy day, amen? Can't wait, man. Just keep trusting Jesus. Let's stand up and pass out the cup and the bread. Praise God. What an awesome God.